Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Damien Barr, welcoming you to another salon exclusive where you get to be the first to hear about the books that are coming up that we are most excited about. We've brought you some absolute belters this year, and we've got another one for you now. It is a story of sisters, survival, and drama. Family drama. It's The Hive by Melissa Scholes Young, and pardon the pun, it is buzzing with intrigue. In a small town in Missouri, four sisters, the Feller sisters, are left shaken by the sudden death of their father, which throws the fate of the family pest control business into question. The mother is a doomsday prepper with a fully stocked bomb shelter. She is ready for every possible disaster, except perhaps this one because it threatens to reveal a secret affair and shatter her relationship with her daughters. It is a story of survival, secrets and sisterhood. And here's Melissa with a glimpse into the mind of the family's matriarch, Grace. Hello, I'm Melissa Skulls young and I'm thrilled to be reading exclusively for listeners of Damien Barr's Literary Salon from my new book, The Hive. This reading is about Grace, the mother, who is ambivalent about motherhood. She loves her daughters and her life, but they mark her whole existence. She struggles similarly with her family's exterminating business, and it's complicated the work is never done, and it seeps into every dinner conversation, every day off, and all their wishes. Uh, the business is a third wheel in her relationship with her husband, Robbie, too. For her family's survival, the business must succeed so she can fund her efforts to prep for the end of the world. Grace's love is fierce and combative. She'll fight to save her family, but she fears that softening her resolve could weaken the hive and lead to their demise. Grace's survivalism was part of my research when I was writing. I went to Prepper Camp, which is a three-day wilderness skill-building workshop in rural North Carolina, and asked, what is the, the line between preparedness and paranoia that can lead to political violence? And how can we protect our own people without threatening others? When fear justifies othering so we can dehumanize, we've crossed a dangerous line. So here's a short reading for you from Grace's basement, where she is prepping for the apocalypse, and there's a surprise at the end of the chapter. Thank you for listening to The Hive. Grace knew she'd be the one to save them all in the end. Certainly she couldn't count on Robbie, but she'd be prepared. She'd rescue her daughters too, even if they were ungrateful. Grace made lists. She also made plans and contingency plans and worst-case scenario plans. Surviving was all that mattered. It was life or death, and Grace chose to live and to fight for her family because no one else would. As a kindred prepper, sometimes Kate would join Grace on the front lines in the cellar basement and help with inventory. One time, she'd even caught her favorite daughter watching doomsday preppers, and Grace thought, finally, someone gets me, even though most of the preppers on TV were just showing off. Some of them thought it was a game. It wasn't. She preferred the term survivalist to prepper because surviving this marriage, this family business, and this life was a war she knew how to win. 
The list she wrote clarified the daily battle plan before she holed up on the front lines in her basement for real work. Most mornings, she mentally prepped on her front porch with her notepad and a fresh cup of coffee. Survival schemes blurred into grocery lists and home repair to-dos and errands to run. She recorded the daily weather forecast for each family member's locations. Clouds, rain, flood stages, snow, and ice were her love language. It's not that Grace didn't notice sunshine, but she saw the threats to her family more acutely. The sounds of the neighborhood soothed her as she plodded, especially the peaceful seconds after the school buses carried the kids away. The house sighed. Nacho stretched out on the rug by the front door. He'd let Grace know when their mailman, Jerry, dropped grocery flyers and bills in the slot, or if an intruder tried to storm their castle. The mat at their threshold read, Welcome, but no one really was. Even the distant call of the Thompson's leaf blower brought calm. Maybe they were finally clearing the woodpile that was surely the cause of the recent chipmunk infestation. When the bird feeder rush hour chatter began, Grace made a note to refill the hummingbird nectar. She understood their spastic energy and territorial intensity. The tornado of tiny wings calmed her. She checked her list again and saw duct tape crossed off. So why wasn't it where she'd left it on the workbench? Nothing could hijack a day of prepping more than low supplies. Grace yelled into the garage where she thought her husband was, Robbie, did you take my duct tape again? She didn't bother checking, just opened the door a slit and screamed. I bought a three-pack last week at Walmart and two are missing. Robbie didn't answer. He was probably there behind the tool bench in a lawn chair with a beer, but she couldn't see him without coming into the garage. Grace never came into the garage, and Robbie agreed not to go near the cellar. Their arrangement worked, mostly, Even when he said he was listening, he wasn't. He stared vacantly and agreed with a passive okay, which Grace had learned meant nothing. Robbie rarely did what he said he would. After his heart attack a few years back, he promised to give up hamburgers, but hadn't. Avoidance was his life's motto. He decided any disagreement was criticism. He is so fragile, Grace thought. Early on, it was his vulnerability and shyness about his emotions that she found attractive. Now, he thought her a nag whenever she spoke up. He should have married someone docile, someone without something to say. She thought he resented the tiny building her family had given them, even though it kept them afloat. Loyalty was tricky. Sometimes you hate the thing you need the most. Grace had opinions, and because she felt unwanted in the business, she was using her smarts to prepare them for the inevitability of the world collapsing. There was no other way to live. In the garage, Robbie usually busied himself with his ham radio, calling out to other operators as bug guy. Beside his handheld and microphone was the framed license he'd earned from the FCC that allowed him to communicate on the amateur bands. Grace would have been annoyed by his hobby, but she was counting on his skill in crisis. She'd read it was the ham radio contact that kept New York City agencies in touch with their command center when it was destroyed on 9-11. At least it was a contribution. In the cellar, Grace began where she always began, by unpacking and repacking the bug-out bags. It was a daily meditative ritual. Among friends, Grace called them bobs. First things first, grab and run. The blogs claimed that hunkering down and defending was the primary line of defense, but survivalists like her preferred an escape route. 
Her family rarely took her efforts seriously and never helped prepare, except for Kate, sometimes. Grace didn't like the idea of relying on chemical concoctions, but the idea of being stuck indefinitely in a perfectly stocked cellar with her family made her stash Valium. She'd peeled off the prescription label and wrote emergency use in a black Sharpie. Then she added mom only underneath. She decided not to share any Valium with Jules when she forced her to take an extra bob with her to college. What if it happens when you're away? Grace had insisted. You won't be prepared, and then what? I'm hoping not to make it through the apocalypse, Mom, Jules had said, tossing the bob on top of the rest of the boxes in her hatchback. That's my plan, that in college, so I can get out of this shithole town. Grace had watched Jules hot pink, the princess saves herself, bumper sticker, get smaller and smaller. She'd wanted to take Jules to college together. There had been a 70% chance of rain that day, She'd wanted to move her daughter into her dorm like they do on the commercials. But Jules would have none of it. She packed herself and barely said goodbye. It's only three hours away. It's not that big of a deal. But neither Grace nor Robbie had earned college degrees, and it was a big deal, even if Jules was too stubborn to know it, just like her dad. Three hours wasn't that far, Grace knew, except when a natural disaster hit or civil unrest broke out. Jules was the daughter Grace worried about most and understood the least. Even as a toddler, she couldn't be contained. She was often trying to hurt herself by climbing things like ladders in Robbie's garage and stuffing herself into places like the fireplace full of ashes and throwing herself in the way of things like Maggie's new birthday bike. Jules was an unpredictable storm, and college was her latest forecast. Grace had watched her drive away in awe, lightning and all. In the basement, Grace cranked up the volume of the Rush Limbaugh show and shook out the contents of the six bobs onto the work table. She ran her hands over each carefully marked plastic bag. Seeing through the bags made her checklist easier, but sometimes she liked to unpack them and reorganize. It felt like an accomplishment in her otherwise mundane day. The government is not going to save you, Rush explained, and Grace listened. She was a God-fearing Catholic and believed the Bible when Isaiah said, The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the storm wind to wreak his anger in burning rage and his rebuke in fiery flames. Grace's own mother had taught her that you do what you have to do in order to survive, especially with limited resources. It was that simple, said the good book. At least now she could afford a few provisions. Grace would be ready. She'd hide until the first wave of violence ended. It could take years. Then she and her daughters would emerge, bobs restocked on their backs and do whatever they had to do. Her tribe would prevail. She assumed Robbie would trail behind them or take credit for the whole thing. He had skills, it was true. But what Grace wanted most was a partner, an equal match, someone as devoted as she was to surviving. She'd made a list of her husband's liabilities and it wore her out. As far as she could tell, loving her kids too much was her only real weakness. She was prepared to do anything to save them. Grace saw threats everywhere, which is what made Bob's so essential and challenging. Each Bob had the basics. Folding shovel, Marine Raider Bowie knife, Gerber multi-tool, fire starter items, flashlight, first aid kit with quick clot, crank radio, rope, water, bottle with filter, food bag replaced once per year, Hygiene items, utensils, bowl, sewing kit, work gloves, 
extra socks, tarp, compass, batteries, Bible, bullets. But she added a few extra for each, a journal with pencils for Jules, who liked to scribble, a keychain stuffed animal for Kate, who even at 12 still slept with her army of dolls, a romance novel for Tammy, maps and markers to keep Maggie's mind occupied, a full flask for Robbie, lipstick and night cream in the secret pocket of her personal bob. Grace patted her thirty-eight special, tucked in an underarm holster, and stroked the loaded Ruger ten twenty-two. Robbie preferred his 9mm Glock G19 and never left home without it. His one big contribution, besides funding their preparations, was devising the code phrase Grace agreed to for when the shit hit the fan SHTF for short among preppers, and they needed to bolt. How about it's time for business, Robbie offered, and she'd nodded because it was perfect, even if he'd come up with it. Grace repacked each labeled bag and loaded them back onto the metal shelves that lined the basement walls. By her count, their pantry could last them two years if they used the generator sparingly, but they'd have to barter for gas. She'd stocked dozens of Jim Bean bottles for trade. She'd buried two propane tanks in the backyard. They could live on Grace's garden alone for years, unless the marauders raided it. She canned every ounce she could and fed them the rest to save on the grocery bill. Of course, Robbie would have to go out hunting some, and she'd be the one to dress and cook the meat. She'd watched her own father take an animal apart from nose to tail and use every inch. Secretly, Grace suspected that most survivalists wanted to test their prepping skills just to show the government how little they needed their help. She made her family do drills, but she already knew that they'd survive because she made sure they were ready. Her lists, her plans, her mental strength and will Grace was on alert because she had to be. She was a survivor, and she alone would save her family. It was her calling in life, her greatest responsibility. She scanned the shelves again, thinking maybe she'd already brought the duct tape down and had blamed Robbie for nothing. When she couldn't locate the extra rolls, she fumed all over again, stomped up the stairs, and called the office. Feller family exterminating, Jen speaking. Jen who? Grace asked, sipping a lukewarm cup of coffee. Jen, I'm new here. What's it to you? Huh, you're something, aren't you? This is Mrs. Feller. I need you to send over a technician with two rolls of duct tape. She smashed the phone between her ear and shoulder and cleaned out the coffee pot with her free hands. You want to speak to Mr. Feller? No, I want you to call one of the guys from the back room. Trust me, whoever is back there isn't doing anything useful. Put two rolls of duct tape from the stockroom in his hands and tell him to drive to my house. Hold on, I'll get Maggie. Grace was in the basement loading the flashlights with batteries, testing them and unloading them again when Travis came down the steps ten minutes later. He hadn't knocked. He paused at the base of the steps, spun a roll of duct tape in each hand, and parked them at his waist, like six shooters. Heard somebody needs to be taped up, he said, blowing on a roll like it was smoking. Seriously, Travis, they sent you? Her face twitched in a smile, but she busied herself testing the flints. Her mother had once told her, never look too available, especially when it comes to men. They prefer the chase. Ain't you glad to see me, Grace? Travis pleaded like a puppy. His friendly wide smile pulled down into a pout, 
He puffed up his chest and focused his soft brown eyes on her. He was good at sales. Getting him hired at Feller's was surprisingly easy and mostly convenient. Robbie vastly underappreciated his skills, but Grace saw his value. I'm glad to see you, just not in my house. Don't see nobody home. Grace looked at her watch. Kate and Tammy's school bus will be here in exactly 27 minutes. Travis closed the space between them, dropped to his knees in front of Grace's waist, and offered the duct tape. Grace took both rolls and stacked them neatly. She leaned away to cross the tape off her list again. Then Travis rose, put his hands around her backside, and laid Grace out on the workbench. You are so strong, he said, sliding his hands up her plump thighs. She kissed him back, thrilled that when the world ended, basic instincts would prevail. She blushed to have someone else in control. She trusted Travis, and he made her feel safe in a world where she never felt safe. He admired her lists and carefully considered the details of each of her plans. When Travis had joined their local preppers assembly, she knew immediately that he took survival as seriously as she did. Robbie had been skipping the meetings for months, and Grace had to go alone. Maybe Robbie would perish first, and this affair wouldn't even be a sin. She'd say extra Hail Marys on her rosary every night since it began. She'd even broken it off a few times, hating how calm she felt with Travis. When the end of the world came... She'd pray on her knees and repent, she promised. But first, this. Grace undressed him quickly to get the smell of his uniform out of her nose. The last thing she wanted to think about right now was the family business or the business of the family. This was about endurance and survival. Together, they could do both. Travis strengthened the hive, even as he threatened it. This was how she made sure her daughters would be safe. Her checklist fell to the floor, and the duct tape soon followed. I'm fanning myself. Is it warm in here? You've got to wonder if Grace is making excuses for what she truly wants, but I'll leave that up to you, dear readers, to discuss in the comments. That was Melissa Scholes Young reading from her tempting new novel, The Hive, published by Turner Publishing and available now in all good bookshops. And I really do think this is going to be a big hit. Order it from your local indie bookshop and tell them the literary salon sent you. Maybe they'll give you a sticker or a dog biscuit or something lovely. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all your support. And join us again soon.